listening to the Coaching Academic Podcast, the podcast for coaches, leaders and academics who are interested in translating research into practice. Each episode, I discuss a brand new piece of cutting-edge research and translate the findings with suggestions of how you can incorporate the research into your practice. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca J. Jones. Now, on with today's show. So I'm really pleased today to welcome a guest to the podcast. So today I'm joined by Dr. Holly Andrews, who's a senior lecturer at the University of Worcester. And I've had the pleasure of working with Holly for a number of years now, and we've co-authored a paper on coaching in higher education. And we're also working on another research paper all about coaching effectiveness. Um, So I know Holly does share a number of passions of mine in terms of Uh, coaching and the rigor in terms of research evidence base of coaching so welcome to the podcast Holly. Thank you very much for having me Rebecca it's a pleasure to be here. Holly maybe you could just talk us through how you first became involved in coaching. Well coaching is not part of my academic background my PhD and my research interests before I met yourself Rebecca uh, Uh, around psychopathy and psychopaths in the workplace so that's my particular area of interest and expertise very much the dark side of organizations but once we started working together we started looking at coaching I think we both found this was something that was really interesting and was something that could be really applicable to our students Um, and so we started to redesign some of our modules, particularly those around how we support students who are looking for placement years. And through that, we actually decided to integrate coaching into our pedagogy. We did a coaching qualification in order to actually be able to coach the students and then went on and did hundreds of hours of one-to-one career coaching with students, um, which really fired up a passion in me for for coaching because I thought it was actually quite amazing to see some of the transformations in the students and see how the coaching you know, support, enabled us to support those students through what's actually quite a demanding and rigorous uh, time in their lives. Getting a work placement here in the UK is not an easy process. They have to make lots of applications, face lots of rejection, go through lots of big assessment uh, centres. So I was really impressed by how effective coaching was Uh, helping students maintain their energy and their focus and helping them to achieve their goals so that's really where my passion for the coaching started and since then uh, I've been integrating coaching into our approach to personal academic tutoring at Worcester and we're just embarking now on um, a research paper looking at online group coaching in our teaching with students and how what makes that effective how effective is it in supporting students academic self-efficacy and their achievement um, at university great and that will hopefully be another really exciting angle for us to examine different factors that uh, impact the effectiveness of coaching which we will get to explore once the data starts coming in. <laughs> yeah, and I think this idea of technology and coaching is going to become more and more important, particularly in light of the, the current context that we're all living and working in. Um, I know that a friend of mine who's a, a senior 
executive in HR in a, a large organization was talking to me about how she's going through online group coaching um, and she's finding it a fantastic experience. So I think it's going to be something that's going to become a much more common practice. And it's really important that we understand actually how the technology impacts on coaching, which is something that's such a personal, typically one-to-one face-to-face intervention. Yeah, exactly. And that links really nicely to the paper that we're going to talk about today. We really wanted to try and focus on a paper that looked at the use of technology in coaching, because as Holly mentioned, we're filming, not filming, we're recording this podcast in November in 2020. So we in the UK, we're in the height of lockdown two, because of the COVID pandemic. And Most people working in the field of coaching will have already had to adapt their practice and switch from face-to-face to to online coaching. And actually, there's still a real shortage of evidence that tells us about the impact of using virtual technology in coaching. And so I went back to the literature to try and identify a paper that might help us shed some insights into this area. And I really struggled, to be honest, to find something that uh, looked at at online coaching. But we did find one paper that we were going to talk about today, which does look at using technology in coaching, albeit not kind of coaching on Zoom or or anything like that, which is what a lot of us are doing. So I would say there's a big gap there in terms of opportunity for research um, to tell us more about that type of coaching. But the paper we're going to look at today is called Beyond Behaviour, the Coach's Perspective on Technology in Health Coaching. And this was a a paper presented as part of conference proceedings uh, back in 2019, actually. And as the title suggests, this is all about health coaching and it's all about using technology to support health coaching. Um, But I think even though it's health coaching those of us working in kind of executive coaching or leadership coaching or workplace coaching generally, there are some lessons here that can be really applicable and useful. And certainly the way that these authors define health coaching, they talk about it being a client centered process where a coach supports an individual client on achieving their goals. And they really focus on the importance of the good relationship between the client and the coach. So I think there are lots of similarities there in terms of how they're defining health coaching and how we would probably define kind of uh, our type of coaching, if you like. And so in this study, it's quite interesting because they did uh, this, this paper, they did three separate studies and they had kind of three aims that they sought to address. So they wanted to look at what defines and influences successful health coaching, what are health coaches' perceptions, attitudes and needs towards technology in their coaching practice, and what do these results imply for design of technology and health coaching. And uh, they had these three separate studies. Study one was an interview study where they interviewed uh, nine health coaches to explore the health coaching process. And we're not really going to talk about that study in in detail. We're going to focus on studies two and three, because in studies, study two, they looked at the potential role of technology in health coaching and they conducted some focus groups to explore this. And then in study three, study three was my favorite of the three studies. I thought it was really interesting. So they had uh, potential or people who'd offered to be coaches, clients, 
and they gave half of the coaches the opportunity to speak to the client but not actually have access to any of the data and the other half had data um, so for one of the clients it was data from an activity monitor like a Fitbit type thing and the other client it was a, di a dietary uh, diary so that was the data that they used for the other client so they had access to that data but they couldn't speak to the client and they asked them both to come up with interventions for that client and to see how people were able to get on and what the benefits and drawbacks were of being able to speak to the client but not have the data and vice versa. Mm. Great and uh, it, they drew a number of conclusions from their paper and, and we're going to focus on the messages I think that we think are most applicable to workplace coaching more generally. So I think probably the first thing to highlight is that the authors of this paper are quite sceptical about whether coaching can be fully automated, weren't they? Yes. It seems that there is immense value in the interpersonal aspect of coaching and having a dialogue with somebody about what's going on. And they talked about actually, you know, if you try and fully automate coaching, you cannot emulate human intuition, empathy, and so on. Um, so you can't really replace that with any kind of technology. And they also pointed out that even if you were able to replace most of what a coach can do with some kind of technological intervention, it's much easier to ignore technology than it is to ignore a person. Like if we think about the, um, so we've got these coaching bots that are becoming more and more popular, aren't they? Where you have like an app on your phone and they're, they're, they're asking kind of coaching questions and you're using the app to formulate your goals. But I guess the point is, it's very easy just to switch that app off, stop the alerts coming through, ignore the prompts or the questions much more easily than if you're actually having a coaching session and the other person is sat in front of you and they're asking you those questions, you can't exactly ignore them in, in that moment. I guess you could cancel the session and avoid it and that, that is always going to happen. But yeah, I can see how something like a coaching bot is more easily avoidable or ignored if you just decide you don't want to engage with it than perhaps a real person. Yeah, and I think perhaps people don't invest as much in their relationship with the coaching bot as they would in their relationship mm. with an actual coach. You know, when you think about if it asks you, you know, if your phone asks you an automated question, you're probably not going to put as much time into thinking about the answer and exploring that as you would do if you were just having a conversation with somebody in front of you. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point, isn't it? Because I think then it, it all depends on what you believe coaching is actually bringing to the individual and and if you believe which which I do that coaching brings them that space to think and reflect and really probe what's been happening then actually that depth of, of thought is really essential so if you're not going to get that from the, the the coaching bot then it's it's always going to have a limited impact yeah, it's not going to be the same if you're uh, just trying to pump, pump something in quickly in between doing the washing up and getting the kids their dinner and the other million things you're trying to do in your day-to-day -day life. Like I say, that dedicated space and time you have in a mm. coaching session is mm. very different. Mm. And then on the flip side of that, though, so although they were sceptical about whether 
uh, it, coaching can be fully automated. They did highlight that the data was really useful in certain contexts, didn't they? Yes. So here we're thinking about really data. And in the context of this paper, we're talking health data. So amount of steps done, calories burnt, water drank, cal calories consumed and so on. They were talking about how actually memory recall is fallible mm. um, and we have certain biases, certain filters through which we interpret our own information. So actually having that concrete objective information in front of us um, could be really useful for what we call triangulation. Mm. And it can also be um, a, what they what the in the paper they thought that what the coaches came up with was it's a really great starting point for a conversation mm. um, with the coachee when you've got the data in front of you it kind of opens the door to having a conversation about that data mm. yeah I can I can see this I, I think it's really clear how data is useful in a health coaching context and then I was trying to think about examples of when similar data might be useful in kind of workplace coaching. I remembered an example where I was working with someone recently and she, the, my coachee really wanted to work on her presence in boardroom meetings. She felt that she wasn't um, impactful enough, she wasn't contributing enough. And we, we talked at length, length about this. And one of the, the hypotheses that I had that I was kind of holding in my mind was that actually there was a bit of what we call in psychology selective attention going on that she was really paying a lot of attention to when other people were contributing and not really noticing her own contributions and so that, as you've mentioned there was this bias coming in that she perceived herself as not contributing and perceived everybody else as contributing much more than she was and so one of the things we talked about was that if she collected some data to actually challenge that assumption now, it might be that she was exactly correct. She wasn't contributing and everybody else was contributing a lot more. It might have been that there was one or two people in the meeting that tended to contribute all of the time, or perhaps the contributions were fairly equally spread. But the point was, without the data, we were just basing it on her perception of what was happening in the meeting. So that's one way that I could imagine we might use data to support our coaching conversation. But then I was thinking, actually, uh, the way that we talked about that, we're still just, at, you know, using pen and paper, really, to catch that data. So it was harder for me when I was reading this paper to think about how we might incorporate technology in the same way that they did in this study, because, you know, Fitbit or your Apple Watch is a really nice way of capturing health data that can then be fed into coaching. What, what do you think, Holly, about how we could use technology to capture that data in kind of workplace coaching? So I was thinking about this. I know that for a lot of people who are involved in executive and workplace coaching, productivity and time management are common kind of issues that coaches come to sessions with. Mm. And Actually, now we do have a lot of automated technology on our smart devices that provides a lot of data that mm. could be quite useful to exploring the reality of what's going on around those types of goals of improving productivity. So I don't know if anyone has ever taken the time to look at the data that their phone captures on you know, how many times they pick up the phone and open the screen, how long they spent on different apps 
how much time overall they're spending but I think that gives things like that actually give us a lot of useful data mm. about where our time is going and we obviously also have data that we can pull from our email accounts you know, what times are we responding to emails how long does it take us between um, actually getting an email reading it and responding to it so I know in a previous uh, podcast you've looked at issues around that haven't you Rebecca there was one mm -hmm. about being being responsive to email be, it being interrupted and feeling responsive yes yeah um, and actually how it's quite important that if you're going to look at things like emails that actually you are able to respond to them at the time otherwise it's just kind of clogging up your mind with information that you know you've got to deal with in the future and it's keeping your working memory occupied then so I think we can actually get a lot of data on things like that um, yeah from the technology we already have yeah that's true actually we've already probably got access to a lot of data from technology that we use every day that we don't perhaps think about incorporating into coaching and another thing I guess is data that the organization might be collecting or using and whether that might be appropriate to bring in. So an example of this is if the organization collects things like uh, they've got survey data or perhaps they collect uh, KPIs, performance management data, or even things like multi-source feedback, I suppose could be perhaps often incorporated into coaching, but actually looking at um, incorporating that more fully if it's being collected automatically and how we might be able to maximize the type of data that we use with the aim of creating that additional awareness and I think in the paper they talk about the fact that it's a good starting point isn't it to kind of start the conversation or uh, uh, perhaps expose a new angle to look at look at something that the coachee wants to explore yeah, I think they're quite mindful of the, the potential for as coaches for us to interpret the data through our own biases mm. um, that we have and, you know, potentially to judge the data as being good or bad, meeting the goals, not meeting the goals. But when they were discussing with the coaches what the, the benefit of the data would be, they said it's a good starting point mm. for a discussion with that coachee like I say particularly around exploring any assumptions that the coachee is making and identifying actually what their current reality is I think it's a really useful starting point mm. I think that's a really good point that it, it's perhaps as the coach it's even more important to work hard to maintain that non-judgmental attitude and not bring our own biases to when we're reviewing the data with the coachee we're not passing judgment on their performance or or anything in relation to that it is literally another tool to help uh, raise awareness and provide insight and to kind of be completely objective with it and yeah. they talked about another disadvantage didn't they about the potential to become obsessed with the data <laughs> yeah this is something I can really relate to I don't know about anybody else who has an activity tracker, but I am somewhat obsessed with my own activity tracker. And I think this can be good in certain ways. 
as I can often be found marching on the spot next to my bed before I, I turn in for the night. If I'm a few hundred steps off my target, there's no way I'm going to bed without meeting that target. Yeah. So you know, it's good in that it can prompt you to do things. But they also talked about how this actually might reduce intrinsic motivation because you lose sight of actually what the end goal is. We think about kind of different levels of goals in coaching. You have that end goal, that dream goal, what you're actually doing this for, what's the purpose, all the way down to your process goals. What, you know, what are you actually doing? I think it causes you to focus extremely heavily on the process goal, perhaps to the exclusion of your end goal and your dream goal. Because I know that if ever I've got up in the morning and I've left the house and I realise that I've forgotten to put my activity tracker on, I don't want to go, I don't want to do any walking. I don't want to do any more additional exercise than I actually have to do because it's a waste then, isn't it? If you're not recording yeah. your steps, then there's no point. I, at that point, I've actually lost track of the fact that I'm supposed to be doing this to, to be healthier and fitter, which I would still be getting if I was doing the steps, even if they weren't being tracked. Yeah. But, but yeah, to me now, it's, it's the steps that count. Yeah, because if, if the tracker doesn't capture it, then did it even really happen? <laughs> no. I find myself talking to my Apple Watch because it does, um, it, it says if you're doing your exercise, it will say like, oh, you're on a six-day streak, keep it up. And I'm like, I am allowed a rest day. <laughs> it kind of pushes you to sometimes go into kind of unhealthy behaviors because you know, I think most exercise professionals would say it's important to rest as well. You shouldn't just keep on and on at it every day. But somehow the, the trackers don't seem to take that into account yet. They're not quite that sophisticated. No. Um, yeah, I think so this this kind of point about being obsessed with the data, this rung, um, struck a chord with me as well, because in our meta-analysis back in 2016, one of the surprising findings we had there was that when coaching was coupled with multi-source feedback, it was actually less effective than when coaching was um, provided on its own. They were both still effective at improving outcomes, but it was actually better without the feedback. And this really surprised us at the time because we you know, in the same, the same way that we've been talking about here, we just assumed that the data would be useful and that it would, would help inform the coaching process and help provide insight and be a good starting point for the conversation. And whilst I think all of that is true, I think there is this danger that we can become obsessed with what the data says or really get stuck in the data and lose sight of anything else. And I do think that can be particularly true with multi-source feedback if say the feedback is uncomfortable or you think is inaccurate or you're trying to figure out, you know, well, who said that about me? And, and that suddenly becomes the focus of the coaching conversation rather than it just being a coaching conversation. So I, I think whilst I'd agree with these conclusions from these authors here that data is useful and we can use technology to capture it and actually we can apply that to workplace coaching, we do need to be cautious about how we manage that process and perhaps contract with the coachee to put some boundaries over how we'll use the data to inform the session to keep it productive and stop it slipping into something that's not so productive and perhaps a distraction yeah i think 
the, the authors of this paper make a really nice point that data tells us about the who, the what, the where and the when, but not the why. And when we're thinking about the general principles of coaching, you know, why is really important because it's that reflection and that insight that's an important part of coaching mm. that helps people to fundamentally change rather than just respond to you know a prompt from your phone or your activity tracker that you should be doing something mm. um, that yeah that that's another good point actually because it, it's I think most coaches would say that what they hope to achieve with their clients, their coaches, is that their coachee can make a sustained behavior change that's over the long term. And there was um, one point in the paper that I wasn't quite, for me, this didn't really sit so well with workplace coaching as perhaps it does with health coaching. And this was, um, they said that technology helped them to be present 24 seven to motivate clients. And, and they say that coaches indicated that technology can be helpful in being present 24-7 in order to motivate the client. And I've just written next to that, isn't there the, the danger that you, the coach could then become like a crutch that the coach is relying on? You know, it's, it's all about the coach motivating and kind of pushing the client on. Well, what happens when the coach isn't there anymore, which that will happen one day. And uh, so I, I do think that's perhaps a, something a little bit different to how we might use technology and workplace coaching to perhaps health coaching is that it should certainly shouldn't replace the coach's own intrinsic motivation to change. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's the fundamental thing. We're, we're supposed to be equipping people to tackle their own problems. We're supposed to have a view that everybody is resourceful and capable mm. of actually improving things in the way that they want to. So no, I, I agree with you, Rebecca. I don't think technology should be the thing that's motivating people. You know, reminders might be helpful for things, but like you say, it can't replace that intrinsic internal motivation. Mm. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this conversation. I've really enjoyed dissecting this paper with you. Um, so the paper we were talking about is called Beyond Behaviour, The Coach's Perspective on Technology and Health Coaching. And I'll put a link to this paper in the show notes for those that are interested in reading the full paper. I think for me, the key message is there's lots of uh, useful lessons perhaps we can use, we can take from health coaching and how they're perhaps using technology and health coaching and apply those to the workplace but as always they need to be administered with a little bit of caution and um, keeping in sight the main purpose of why we're using that technology and what we hope to achieve with it and um, keeping an eye on that to make sure that we avoid some of those potential pitfalls and um, that could compromise the integrity of the coaching that we're doing so thanks Holly lovely thank you for having me it's been a pleasure thanks for listening we'll see you again soon for listening to the coaching academic podcast if you're interested in reading my research sponsoring the show or in hiring me as a researcher coach or speaker check out my website www.rebeccajjones.co.uk if you like the show don't forget to leave a review in itunes and subscribe so you never miss an episode 
If you have a question you'd like me to answer in a future show, then please get in touch via my website. Finally, you can connect with me on Twitter at coach underscore research. Thanks for listening.